Father God, we're so thankful this morning. We thank you for Pastor Justin and Pastor Steph and for the beauty of their faith, that they live so evidently in front of each one of us every single day. We pray for his family now, even as they're wrestling with the, the, the passing of his grandmother. We pray that you'll bring comfort in the dark, lonely moments. And we pray that even as he navigates this and yet every week has to stand on this platform and pour into the hearts and lives of thousands of people, we're grateful for what they do and we're thankful for what you will do in and through us. In the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap and let's be grateful that we are part of such an amazing church. Hey, Sanford, South Orlando, and Oviedo, because Oviedo is actually, even though it's a practice service for their relaunch next week, Oviedo is actually being streamed live. So welcome. We love you guys. We are so proud of you. Let Oviedo here, Winter Springs, give them a rousing... Come on, guys, we can do better than that. Ovino wants to hear you. Hey, listen, um, last week we talked about hope near me. And um, the truth is, I, I don't have a lot of time to go into the whole concept of near me. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to the message uh, from last week, hope near me, you need to get that. So it sets a foundation for what this series is all about. But this morning, I want to take some time and talk to us about grace near me. But what I'd like to do first is, as we explore this big idea of grace, is I'd like to define grace. Because uh, I find that we all have different ideas or definitions of what we think that word should mean. And so I'd rather that we're all playing on the same field. So as I, as I define grace, is what we're talking about specifically this morning. Grace comes from the Greek word charis. It is a word that literally translates as the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. In other words, it simply means that grace is the manifestation of God's work in your heart and in your life, no matter what the circumstance is and how you live that out. That's how people identify that you are a Christ follower. Because the grace on your life allows you to live through circumstances and situations that would crush most people. And they wonder why and how is it that you are able to navigate these seasons so successfully? It's simply because of grace. Why do we need grace, you might ask? It's because at one time or another, if you're a living, breathing human, you have wrestled with shame, failure, some feelings of unworthiness. Every single one of us. So today, what I want to do is dispel this idea of shame, because as far as I'm concerned, shame is a root of fear. And shame is what causes us to cover up and step away from God's perfect purpose and calling for our lives. And so today, I want to dispel the idea of shame, but I don't want to do it by giving you some theories or ideas that I have, I want, to, I want to follow the journey and the life of a man in the scriptures called Peter. Peter was, as we know, one of the three, big three disciples that was always with Jesus. Uh, God, according to showing us in the scriptures, did so many supernatural miracles through Peter. So we start at the fact that prior to Jesus' crucifixion, 
He had a conversation with his disciples. They were all getting really excited about all the power and authority they would have in his kingdom. Some of them were thinking that his kingdom was an earthly kingdom. And so he called them to attention and he said this. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, here's what he says, after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now, I don't know how they all interpreted that, but I do know this based on the scriptures, that many of them thought that the kingdom he was building was an earthly kingdom. And so, this concept of after you're dead and we'll, we'll meet in Galilee, they weren't listening to that. And that was evidenced by the fact of how they responded when he actually was crucified. But after his resurrection, now they know that everything he said was real and true and powerful. And so, in obedience to his command, they all head to Galilee. All of them excited at the prospect of reconnecting with Jesus. That's all of them except Peter. Because Peter has a huge problem. He has a self-inflicted wound. Peter has a telephone pole sticking out of his chest. In case you're wondering why, in that same conversation that Jesus had with Peter, here's what Peter said. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, get this, God in the flesh looks at Peter and says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. <laughs> no, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Well, we know the end of that story. We know that the rooster crowed twice and Peter had denied Jesus three times already. So, fast forward the story. They've headed back to Galilee because Jesus is risen from the dead and he's sort of popped up at different points, walked through walls and done different things. And so they know he's alive. And so they figure we might as well obey his command and go wait in Galilee. So they all head to Galilee and watch this. Here's what Peter says when they all arrive Galilee. I'm going fishing. So all of them pile onto the boat with Peter and they head out fishing. Now, if you're not careful, if you don't look closely at the fine print, you'll miss the point. What's Peter doing? He's going back to his old life. I'm going fishing. You see, he had been called away from fishing. He'd been called to become a fisher of men. But now, Peter has lost any sense of value for himself. Why? He's consumed with shame. And his shame has convinced him that he is not worthy of fulfilling the call that Jesus orig originally placed on his life. So he's gone back to his old profession. I'm going fishing. But Jesus is having none of this. You see, just as Jesus crucified every assault that Satan threw at us, he's about to show Peter, all of those around Peter and us, that he wasn't joking when he said, it is finished. 
You see, on the cross, when he said it is finished, what he, said, what he was saying was everything you've done, everything you will ever do is covered by the sacrifice I'm about to make. It is finished. Shame, regret, self-inflicted wounds, it is finished. I'm speaking to someone here today. Someone who's thinking that there's no way out for you, that you're done, you've turned away from God. Watch this, they fished all night. But Jesus cloaked himself yet again and hid his divinity and appears on the beach just at dawn and they don't recognize that it's him. Listen to the scriptures. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? This is a double-barreled question. Absolutely, he's talking about the fish that they're fishing for, but he's actually speaking to their souls. Have you continued to do the thing that I called you to do at the beginning? Have you continued to fish for men as you satisfy your souls? Collectively, every single one of them says, no. And then Jesus laughs and he says something really weird. Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. I'm not a fisherman by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know the dimensions of the boat. Left side, right side. <laughs> Hello, we threw the net out all night, left side, no fish, no fish right side. The fish aren't kind of just hanging out on this side and watching the net and thinking, we're not going to the net. So what are you talking about? I think Jesus is saying to them, do what you're not doing. Do what you're supposed to be doing. But not recognizing who he is, they squint to try and figure out. And in my mind, the J-A-T translation of the Bible, that's the one I wrote in my head, <laughs> says that they're probably mumbling and grumbling among themselves. And, and they're saying, who does this guy think he is? We're pro-fishermen. We've been doing this all our lives. They don't know it's Jesus. So they're thinking left side, right side makes no difference. I am truly grateful that in spite of whatever misgivings and reservations they had, they were obedient and they threw the net out on the right side. The Bible tells us that they were unable to haul the net into the boat because of how full it was and the quantity of fish that they caught. <laughs> Having seen that miracle, John, the disciple that Jesus loves, at least according to John, says, huh, I think that's Jesus. You think? <laughs> and when Peter hears John say, I think that's Jesus, a light bulb goes on. Watch this. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Okay, so here's what we know so far. Having stripped down for work, Peter, bronzed by the sun of the Middle East, is standing in his underwear, hair slicked back in a ponytail, his six-pack glistening in the sun. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away. 
Here's what we know. Seeing the Lord, he puts on his outer garment, takes a swan dive off the bow, and heads to shore to meet Jesus. Mm. Again, pay attention to the little details. While he's going forward to meet Jesus, he's covering up. That doesn't make sense to you yet, it will. It reminds me of two different men in scripture. The first is Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us that Adam was ashamed because his sin has revealed his nakedness. So he and Eve sowed fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. What drove them to do that? Shame. Watch this. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Really, Adam? You were naked from the minute you were made out of dirt. How come suddenly that matters? Why didn't it matter before? Now, I know some of you theologians are saying, oh, hang on, he says he was afraid because he was naked, not because he was ashamed. Slow your roll. Watch this. Just before their sin, in Genesis 2, the Bible says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. But after their sin, here's what the Bible says, at that moment, the moment they sinned, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Before their sin, they were naked and unashamed. But suddenly, their sin has opened their eyes to become secretive, to hide. You know what's fascinating about this? I was listening to a podcast a few days ago by a secular um, neuroscientist. And he was talking about the story of this little kid who started kindergarten. And on the first day of kindergarten, they had this incredible experience where they had butterflies uh, to play with, colorful, bright butterflies. And uh, I guess they put a butterfly on his ha hand and uh, he was admiring it and then it flew away. And so when he got home, he was so excited, he said to his mom, the butterfly flew away. And his mom said, what butterfly? And he had this puzzled look on his face. So the neuroscientist explained that when kids are born, we imprint upon them. But at the moment of conception, they have no idea of what communication is. Kids, when they're hungry, when they need to be changed, they cry. And intuitively, parents figure out what the need of that kid is. And so kids, until their formative years, believe that everybody knows everything about everybody. So this kid actually thought that his mom is aware of everything going on in his mind, of everything he sees and everything he does. But at some point, an awareness dawns that you don't have access to my brain. And suddenly I recognize that I can keep secrets. And when I keep secrets, I can do things that I'm ashamed of, but nobody else knows. But it begins to cause me to cover. 
and hide and pretend and live differently. This was not a Christian neuroscientist. And suddenly it dawned on me, clearly this is what the scripture is speaking to. At the moment of their sin, their eyes were opened and they were ashamed. Ashamed of their nakedness, ashamed of their sin. There's every single one of us walks through a journey where shame consumes us and we begin to hide behind different facades. We begin to live false, pretentious lives. We present one face outside. You don't believe me? Go on Facebook. I mean, sorry, Facebook. <laughs> and you'll recognize. We want you to see our Which one of you, honestly, has taken the worst photograph in the world and put it as your Facebook profile picture? We want people to see us in our best light. But that is not our true light. Our true light is actually who we are when we are naked and exposed. But watch this, don't take my word for it. The second man in scripture that this reminds me of is a guy called Blind Bartimaeus. The Bible tells us that he's seated, seated at the gates that lead into Jericho. In fact, let's read these verses. They spent some time in Jericho. This is a reference to Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus was leaving town, so he's done. He's heading out. He's finished with whatever he came to do in Jericho. Trailed by his disciples and a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Now, some of you will look at that and think, okay, his name is Bartimaeus. No, it isn't. Bar in Hebrew is son of. So, son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. The Bible doesn't even give us his identity. We don't even know his name. We just know that he's a blind beggar seated by the road that leads out of Jericho. Son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. And the Bible says, when he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David! Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me! And some of you are already blocking your ears and thinking, you don't have to be so loud. <laughs> okay, hold on. Many tried to hush him up, just like some of you tried to hush me up in your heads right now. <laughs> but he yelled all the louder, Son of David! Mercy, have mercy on me. Listen to the next words. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Can your voice make heaven stand still? Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over. Suddenly, the same people who had tried to hush him up, shut up. Listen to them. It's your lucky day. Get up. He's calling you to come. You had nothing to do with that. If it was up to you, he would have shut up and Jesus would have walked on right out of Jericho. But Bartimaeus continued to scream till his voice caught the attention of heaven. And watch this, my favorite part of the scripture. Throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. Do you see it? Let me explain it. Shame covers. Adam in the garden, naked. He was created that way. But the moment he sinned, shame set in. 
and he's hiding from the very one who created him. We hide from God and from everyone around us when shame takes a hold of our hearts and we begin to cover. Bartimaeus had nothing to be ashamed of. We don't even know his name. We only know that he's a blind beggar, son of Timaeus. He has nothing to hide. And so when Jesus calls for him to come, he throws off the garment that holds him bind, bound, the garment that identifies him as a beggar. And he walks to Jesus naked and unashamed. The cry of my heart this morning is that you would know that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're walking through, if you will come to Jesus naked and unashamed, he wants to heal and restore you to the purpose and calling that he placed on your life, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. But on shore, we notice that Peter jumps into the water. You notice what he did? He put on his outer garment. Who does that? Who puts on your outer garment to jump into the water? He's moving towards Jesus, but covering, hiding. Wow. What is he running from? Meanwhile, back on the shore, there's a fish fry going on. Jesus is cooking fish. Here's what the Bible says. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Did you see that? Over a charcoal fire. Uh-oh. Back up a week. This does not bode well for Peter. Watch this. This is just before Jesus is crucified. He's been arrested. And the Bible says this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made what? A charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. But now smoke is rising from the beach. The aromatic smell of fish fills the air in the early dawn, and it's a charcoal fire. The very thing that he stood in front of and denied Jesus. Jesus has brought him right back to the place of his shame. Here's the point. In order for Jesus to remove the shrapnel from the wound, he must bring you back to the place and peel the scab. But shame causes us to cover it and hide it. But Jesus is not about to let Peter get away with that. And so, they're on the beach, and Peter sees the fire and he freezes, ice water flows through his veins, and Peter is hyperventilating. His heart shatters on the beach because Peter has gone from the mountaintop victory at Caesarea Philippi when he declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, 
to rock bottom, denying Jesus. So Peter has demonstrated right there on that beach that he's a liar and a coward. I will never deny you, but three times he does before the rooster crows twice. And now Peter has convinced himself, I am worthless, I have nothing to offer. Notice that when Peter dove into the water and headed to Jesus, covered in his outer clothing, it never occurred to him to say to the man standing on the shore, if you're really Jesus, ask me to come to you on the water. He'd done that before. And he, according to history, is the only man to ever have walked on water. But not now. Shame has consumed him. What is shame causing us to step back from that God himself has ordained for us and we are unable to fulfill our purpose because we have allowed shame to cover us and we're hiding from the very one who created us. Jesus speaks over his shoulder, bring some fish. <laughs> the very fish that they've just caught. And here's what the Bible tells us. Peter actually grabs the net. Keep in mind that the Bible tells us that the net was too heavy to pull into the boat. But now Peter single-handedly grabs the net, brings it on shore. This has nothing to do with the message, but it's just interesting to me. They counted 153 fish, which is proof that men have always counted their fish. <laughs> I don't know why that's important, but it's in the Bible, so I just wanted you to know. 153 fish. <laughs> Not relevant to the message. So then Jesus says, now come and have some breakfast. So they're all elated to see him except for Peter. They sit down alongside Jesus like old times, but I need you to understand, don't think for a moment that this feels like old times. When's the last time you had a friend die and then he walked into your room the next day and then you just hung out and had fish to eat? <laughs> they're normal humans. They're wrestling with all of that. They're trying to figure out what exactly is going on. But Peter, completely turned away from his purpose, has called all the others to join him and they've gone back to fishing. They've lost their direction, they've lost their purpose. And in order to get some direction, their leader needs to get his head and his heart straight. So Jesus is about to do surgery on his heart and remove that shame. For time, I'm going to summarize the rest of the story in my own words. This is the J-A-T translation. Peter's sitting by himself. His head is bowed. His hair is dangling down his face so that Jesus can't catch his eye. You see, shame has consumed him, and Jesus has this steely gaze that somehow is able to penetrate into the very depth of your soul and see everything you're thinking. So he doesn't want to catch Peter's eye. His heart is breaking, though. And Jesus leans in towards Peter a few inches from his face and says, Peter, look at these guys. And all the other disciples are sitting around feeding on fish. And Jesus simply says, do you love me more than these? <laughs> Peter had said before, I love you so much, if nobody stays with you, I will. I will never deny you. I'll die with you. 
Well, apparently Peter is a bit of a liar. And before we start to judge Peter, so are we. Because every time we sin, we step away from the commitment we made to our faith, the journey that we said we would walk in obedience to Jesus. Every time we make a decision that is contrary to the counsel of God's word, we, like Peter, are proving ourselves to be liars and cowards. But Jesus is not willing to give up on Peter. So he fills a plate with fish and sits shoulder to shoulder with Peter and he hands him the plate of fish. And Peter pushes the fish around on the plate, his heart breaking. The implication is clear. Imagine if you would, I want to bring this into today for you. A valiant soldier sneaks into the enemy camp and he rescues all of the prisoners of war. And they all head out as he's rescuing them one by one to the LZ, the landing zone where the rescue chopper is coming and he can hear the rotors turning in the wind. And everyone has made it to the chopper and he's heading that way. And the pilot catches a glimpse of him. And the pilot smiles and gives him a thumbs up. Great job, he mouths. And he's running towards the chopper. And suddenly, the chopper lifts up and takes off and leaves him surrounded by the enemy who rush in with their bayonets and stab him to death. That's exactly what Peter did. I'll never leave you, even if everyone else does. And then in the moment, of Jesus' greatest trial, Peter denies him. I never knew him. I don't know who he is. And so Jesus looks at Peter. And Peter knows exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, and feed my sheep. Peter sets down the plate, tears in his eyes, streaming down his cheeks, snot out of his nose. His bottom lip is trembling. His six pack has turned into jelly. Maybe that's not true. But all he wants is for his friend, his king, his Lord, to give him another chance to show that he loves him. But Jesus will do one better. It's why he came. In my mind's eye, Jesus presses his forehead to Peter's and he says, friend to friend, brother to brother, I built this charcoal fire to heal your heart, to remind you that where we were, it's time to move forward. And Peter weeps. And as the breath of God is breathed on Peter, Jesus says the very words that he said to Peter the first time he called him, follow me. That's it. It's done. The shame from your past is done. I've called you to be a fisher of men. Follow me. 
I don't know who it is this morning, whether in Sanford, South Orlando, Oviedo, or even here, that thinks that what you've done is beyond redemption. And like Peter, you have put on your outer clothing and you're covering yourself with shame. But I'm here this morning to tell you that you need to be like blind Bartimaeus. You need to throw off those garments of shame and run to Jesus because he's calling you. He's simply saying, follow me. So all over this auditorium and all the auditoriums in which we're gathered this morning, Peter has finally received the one thing that he'd lost. You see, he's in the perfect position to be a disciple, failed, broken, and ashamed. But here's what he is now. He's a child of God. And when you are a child of God, it covers every other epithet that you've ever been called. It covers everything you've ever been identified by. Because child of God is the greatest mantle that anyone can ever wear. So if you would, here, Sanford, South Orlando, every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, there are myriad of us who have struggled and wrestled with shame for much of our lives. And we have covered it so well on the outside. But Jesus is right here on your beach, frying fish for you because his heart's desire is to bring you into a deep and intimate relationship once again. So for some of you, this will be a decision you're making for the first time because you've been running from him all your life. But today you're hearing him call you. For others of you, it's a decision to renew your relationship like Peter to come back to him having denied him. Whichever category that is, whichever one you are, would you simply just slip your hand up where you are as an acknowledgement. Slip that hand up high. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed of that. Just slip that hand up high as an acknowledgement that Jesus, I recognize that I need to follow you. God bless you. All of those hands up, I imagine, in all the other auditoriums. Go ahead and put those hands down and I want you to pray this prayer out as I pray it. Say something like this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I know that I am a sinner saved only by your grace. I believe that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to cover my shame. I believe in my heart that he died for me and that God raised him from the dead. I confess with my mouth that he is my Lord and Savior. I choose him today. I choose to follow him today. And the Bible says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I will be saved. And so Father, I pray over every single person who made a decision here, Sanford, South Orlando. I pray, Father, that today will begin the new journey that you have prepared for, for them from the foundations of the world, that they will throw off the tokens of shame and appear naked before you so that you will heal and restore 
so that you will be glorified. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate all those decisions that were made this morning.